Blog Talk Radio. I think we all know who this is, don't we? You need a hand down. Do you need to write this with a pen, pad, and paper? This one, the only. A-Train, Brian Rails on your Hot 9-7, nope, on Wrestle Radio Network, that's where I be. So, before we get started on this little Wrestle Radio Network parte, I'm just going to allow you to sink in what's going on. So there's a lot going on, all right. And uh, just uh, take a listen to this, you know, history, all right, if you would, please. Please, pretty please. And and take in my consideration that uh, weekend wrestling, there's a lot. There's a lot to report, and we've got a lot on the table. So um, bear in mind, this is wrestling history. Enjoy. Well, after the ad, sorry folks, can't really skip past this one, that sucks. Because the love that was 
time, I will repay you now because I will be the next world heavyweight champion of this hard time blues. Dusty Rhodes Tour 85 and Rick Flair Nature Bar. Let me leave you with this. One way to hurt Ric Flair is to take what he cherishes more than anything in the world. That's the world's heavyweight title. I'm going to take it. I've been there twice. This time when I take it, Daddy, I'm going to take it for you. Let's gather for it. Don't let me down now because I came back for you. For that man up there that died 10, 12 years ago and never got the opportunity to see a real world champion. And I'm proud of you. Thank God I have you. And I love you. Love you! All right. Let's play a contrast to that one. All right. This is a little different if you ask me. God bless these ads. I swear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anthony Agogo. Has run down and verbally buried the United States. And he's done it with such vitriol in his tone. He's talked about the anger, the arguments, the division. And the irony is that Anthony has a visa, courtesy of the USDOT. Anthony collects that great green, courtesy of the U.S. Treasury. He's afforded all the same rights we all are, to do and say what he'd like. That's freedom. That's America. You talk about division. You talk about anger. You talk about the argument from the outside in. We hear that all the time. Take it from an American, the argument. It's what makes us who we are. Sure, there's anger. There's anger in every pocket, but our empathy outweighs our anger. Let me ask you, Anthony. You didn't come here to live the England dream. And I don't mean to disparage across the pond. They sure know how to make a wrestler. I've wrestled some of the best. Whether it's Doug Williams, little Gabriel Kidd, or even one of the best in the world right now, Pat. Nineteen eighty-six. I'm a country music fan. Willie Nelson came out with his song, Living in the Promised Land. He said, Send us your tired and weak, we'll make him strong. Sing us your far off song and we will sing along. Well, here's where I stopped singing. I stopped singing when you balled up that Olympic medalist fist and you put it between these ribs here. You like to educate. You like to pontificate on what the U.S. is. Allow me to turn the favor. The industry that you joined, it was an Italian immigrant who was world champion for 4,040 days. There's so much to behold here. There's so much to love here. The dream lives here. What about a 16-year-old man, a 16-year-old man who comes from 
Pakistan patents and invents the single-piece bumper and enriches and cultivates the lives of everybody literally in the city that I am sending. Prior to 1961 in Atlanta, Georgia, there was segregation. Blacks and whites could not attend the same school. And in 2021, in the very same city, my wife, my wife will give birth to a beautiful, a beautiful white, a beautiful black American princess who will have both identities, shun neither. And I want her to know. I want her to know. I didn't just lay down under another man's flag. I didn't just have this defeatist attitude when somebody ran down the United States. I got up off my ass and I fought back. And here's where we're going to do the fighting. At double or nothing. Tony Khan, Tony Khan has already told the world that a double or nothing, we're going back to full capacity. Wrestling fans, wrestling fans returning to their seats and returning close to thank God. And on that night, it'll be Anthony Agogo versus myself, but he will not be wrestling the American Nightmare. Because for one night, night, I'm going to pick up a sword that is all too heavy, but it's either me or my brother who have the right to pick it up. So for one night, Justin Roberts, this relates to you. Nothing on presentation's sake will be different. It comes from deep inside. As I said, at double or nothing, it will be Anthony Agogo versus the American dream, Cody Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, <clears throat> allow me to drink some water because that one might take some thought. And I know that my partner, Crumb, the loyal co-host, with more than the most. Please welcome to Wrestle Radio Network the man, Pizza Simpson. How's it going? What is up, my bu- my brother? Let's get to it, man. Let's dive right into that. And the first thing I'm going to say, you're, uh, you have Dusty Rhodes, the Hard Times promo. That was one of the greatest promos of all time that got, that got people going. And then you got Cody Rhodes. I mean, yeah, Cody Rhodes, his son, who's the absolute opposite. It's forced. It's contrived. It's it's creating fake narrative with the UK versus the America thing. There's so many things wrong with that promo, man. It was all over the joint. I'm like, man, are we fighting a war? Are we going to watch wrestling? And how dare you say my brother, I mean, not how dare you can say my brother and I pick up the sword. It's like, 
No, dude, your father's legacy is not a piece of a metaphorical metal. Your father's legacy should not be forced. It should be lived, not, you know, put whatever the hell that was, dude. That was just bad. You know, I really want to say, like, a lot of times, let's look at Roman Reigns. People, they were so, they were so, so, so unwilling to turn him heel. And then when they finally do, it's the greatest run of his career. And it's because he's a natural heel. And Cody Rhodes is not the same as American Dream. Dusty was a natural face, and he got the people behind him. And Cody, you just kind of want to hate. He's got a douchey face. It seemed like you he wrote it down, and it's not like you he know did. his father's. Yeah, his father's ability to like just pick up the moment and say what's on his mind and make it somehow make sense, like in the hard times promo. It's like, dude, you know what? You cannot force people to like you. That's that's a mistake. That's like yeah. You, you, you can't just be like, oh, yeah, you guys are going to love me when I say this word, or I'm going to use a big word that I found out of the quotation area or the dictionary. Like, get the hell out of here with that mess, man. Like, I can't – I cannot tell you how many times wrestlers have gotten on the mic, and you pay attention when it's John Cena or Hogan or Piper or Savage, Flair. The list goes on. Owen Hart is always a great promo. I mean – you can't coach a macho man, Randy Savage. Even current day Seth Rollins or Roman Reigns or Cesaro, if he gets got you know gets an opportunity, which I don't know will happen, but you have to be in the moment. And right at that moment, I was confused. I was like, okay, so what's the narrative? Is it us going to war with the UK and them not you know a go go not being grateful for him being on our soil? And then it turned into, I'm going to talk about this narrative, and I'm going to talk about that. And it's like, you have to be clear when you speak to the audience, man. You can't be, I'm guilty of this. You can't ramble. See, look at, look at, let's, let's look at both of those scenarios, okay? Dusty Rhodes' promo was him coming back after a broken ankle after the big fucking, the big schmoz in Georgia where the, the, Andersons and, the Andersons and Flair beat the shit out of Dusty and broke his leg and whatnot. This is Dusty coming back from that and speaking to the people. And he didn't have to go and write this big, long promo. He spoke from the heart. And that's the difference. And this, this was uh, Cody Rhodes' promo on Anthony was very, very forced and contrived. It was basically forcing a narrative that really wasn't there and was just buying time um, for the inevitable QT Cody Rhodes match that really just petered out. This whole That whole feud was really, really forced in general, but that really just showed how far away Cody is from his father. And it's okay to be that. It's okay. You don't have to be the next American Dreams. You could be the be the first Cody Rhodes. That's what I was about ready to say. If you're an artist, do you want to be, you know, the next uh, Kurt Cobain, or you know, 
I always felt like I live in his shadow, but, you know, I'm going to be an ode to him because blah, blah, blah. No, dude, be your own person. Be your own originality. Because in not just wrestling, but in anything, if you don't have the ability to be original, unique, different, but still fall in line, keep in mind, you got to still fall in line to make a paycheck. But at the same time, it's like you're writing stuff down on paper, and it's not, it's so disingenuous. I'll give you an example, guys. Guys like Malachi Black or Andrade or, God rest his soul, Eddie Guerrero could talk. Paul Heyman says, blindfolded, that dude can talk. And maybe, you know, there's a reason why Arn Anderson is around him as a coach. It's because he's Lord in heaven, man. Cody Rhodes, you know, he's coolest without following the book, man. That seems like he's just by the book. Yeah, I think I think really what is going to happen is he's going to have to turn heel, and I think it's going to be great. So I'm just waiting and biding my time. That's all, really. I think that I think that Dusty would be proud that his son was involved with creating the new number two promotion, but in terms of trying to be trying to be anything near Dusty's status or whatnot or just natural ability, it's just not there. It's just not there as someone I just want to get behind. The whole fucking thing just screams fucking heel. His wife, his team of guys, Arn Anderson was a heel most of his career. We just liked him because he had good promos and good matches. But at the end of the day, he was a fucking bad guy. So when this inevitably happens, I think Cody's going to be great because he's got everything else there, and his wrestling matches are cool. Like, he had a great match with Andrade. We'll get to that later in the show. But, yeah, man. Yeah, man. I just just ain't seen it as a Cody face. Cody good guy, if you will. To close, like, to wrap this up, folks, like, I don't doubt Cody's wrestling ability one bit. It's in his blood. I think Dustin's better, but that's just my personal opinion. Is it because... Yeah, me too. Because it's just like, you don't see much of Dustin. He's behind the scenes, whatever. But I feel like, dude, I hate to break this to you, man. In wrestling, you're not always going to be loved. This is a cutthroat business. And... You know this. I know this. And everybody who's been around wrestling, fan, worker, whatever, they fucking know it. Okay? So please get off your high horse and realize you don't have to be your father. Just be you. Okay? Whether it's nerdy, I'm an asshole. Fine. I'd rather have that than the Cody you're giving us now. And that will close the uh, discussion on Cody Rose uh, Dusty promo. Right now, folks. No, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Good start. Good start. Good start. So um, let's let's get into some let's get into some wrestling news. First thing I want to really just touch on. Um, it's been it's been uh it's come out that uh Sinclair, Sinclair Broadcasting is twelve million dollars in the hole, and uh, that 
probably means that Ring of Honor is all but gone. So Ring of Honor, RIP, man. So that out the gate is really, really sad news because Ring of Honor has had uh, a, just an excellent impact on professional wrestling. As we stated in last week's episode, they've produced they've produced a ton of uh, great action and great moments. And, uh, you know, congratulations to Jim Cornette, uh, Hunter, you know, Delirious, and Gabe Sapolsky, and Adam Pierce, if I didn't say his name already, for, you know, trying to do all they could and producing excellent talent. There, we don't have to. We don't have to get a get it go into it. But you know, if you are aware or just have a you know any any idea, you know that the the impact that Ring of Honor's caused. So, I'm personally pretty uh, upset about it because I've I've spent a lot of time at Ring of Honor shows and I've uh, you know seen seen a lot of things and got to be a part of something really special and being in, being in those audiences and. So yeah, man. RIP Ring of Honor. It's sad because that is the guys. For those of you who are currently on AEW's Nutsack and WWE's, for that matter, too, allow me to inform you all of something. I'm sorry if I'm sounding like pre off the rails. No pun intended. But you know, here's the deal. That organization housed the likes of Adam Cole. Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish. Everybody, bro. Everybody. Everybody, bro. Everybody. And it's sad because, you know, how how are you going to sit there and be like, you know, these guys that went through their system is not going to do anything about it. They're just going to let them sink. Come on, man. That's the only regret that I have is that these wrestlers that went through that system are not going to try. I'm not going to say bail out a freaking um, corporate company, but fudge man somebody's got to do something yeah well who knows um 12 million bucks i was 12 million dollars in 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 the hole and uh i really don't see ring of honor coming back and if it is if it does come back it'll probably just be on like on a surface level and just like special shows probably here and there but uh yeah man ring of honor's done ring of honor's done but uh, yeah, moving on, let's uh, talk about Bray Wyatt. Supposedly he got re- he got released because uh, towards the end of his run there, he got hard to deal with and got you know got vocal with the direction of his character, and it got him fired. But um, good for him because uh, they put that poor guy through the fucking ringer as that as Bray Wyatt, and uh, he's had to deal with a lot of bullshit. When you constantly dangle the carrot in front of somebody's face and say, oh, yeah, we're going to give you the championship for three months, and then he loses to Goldberg, and that fucking killed his career. And 12 years, 12 years he gave the WWE. 12 years, people. 12. And that's saying something because he stayed longer than his brother. He stayed longer than most of the guys that he associated with. He didn't care. He was playing the game. He's like, oh, no, I don't have a problem with WWE. And then it started coming out. It's like, man, you guys keep pulling me every which way, stretching me, running me ragged. That's what I bet you he said. I'm just, I'm not, I wasn't there. I never, 
I never claimed to be there, but from Bray's perspective, when you give him a character that finally works, The Fiend, and it's over, I mean, it's massively over, where people are chanting his theme while before he walks out the curtain, and they're going to fire him because, oh, he was difficult to deal with creative. Come on, folks. The man had to deal with a House of Horrors match with Randy Orton. I was at that mania, by the way. That was god-awful. They, they fed him to the wolves at WrestleMania 30 with John Cena. He never had – you know, nobody's had any issue with John Cena. But that's the side of the point. Cena was the one who wanted to put Bray over, you know, said, you know, you've got to have Bray go over and the Elimination Chamber match. The man literally in two separate gimmick occasions, like when he was with the, the Wyatt family and, oh, my God, dude. The the cell phones and the arenas were lit up. You cannot yeah, deny were. that man. They had no denial that his merchandise was selling more than Cena's, more than The Rock's. That guy, it just was unreal. He was kind of like, I hate comparing him to this guy, but he was Kevin Sullivan, but better. He was that mixed with Ric Flair's charisma mixed with Dusty Rhodes' promo ability, mixed with a lot of shit that you can put together with Bray Wyatt's character. And it's just like, you roll that all into one and he still gets thrown no bone? That's complete and utter bullshit. Yeah, for him to be, uh, for him to be really uh, high on the merchandise, top-selling merchandise guys, or top-selling merchandise pushers, for him to be fired, that's that's huge. That's uh, that's definitely definitely a problem. He definitely pissed somebody off if he was fired. You know, fired. So I'm definitely interested in seeing where Wyndham shows up. With, uh, that's a, that's what he's been going by. Let's uh, get into the other big piece of news. WWE just released another big wave of talent, including Karrion Cross. Keith Lee, Nia Jax, Ember Moon, Mia Yim, Biff, uh, Oni Lorcan, Lince Dorado, uh, Grand Metallic, a whole bunch of NXT talent, including uh, the um, uh, Frankie Monet, who was being pushed, who was definitely a, a, a talent you should want to keep on your roster because she's capable of having an excellent match with somebody and getting an excellent match out of someone. And they just, they just, they gave B-Fab from Hit Row a contract extension and then released her from it. And then a whole bunch of other NXT talent that I don't know the name of, but uh, WWE is clearing house. Yeah, because I, you know, partner, I looked on the, the the roster for NXT. There's 16 men and 16 women. That's hard to entertain by. I mean, it's it's doable, but at the same time, it's like you just released names that were extremely promising in the black and gold brand. I don't know what you call it, the Windbreaker brand now because of their colors, but that's besides the point. Um, now I know why Tommaso Ciampa said he wants to finish out his career on NXT. Because I don't believe I don't believe he will. I just don't believe anything in wrestling unless someone really just stays gone and nobody's stayed nobody's ever really stayed gone. 
CM Punk's comeback, Brian Danielson's comeback, everybody comes back. And I think that if he if he retires on NXT and he's offered a contract from AEW that'll pretty much cater to to the the dates he wants and the money he wants, he'd be leaving money on the table. And there's no way that TK wouldn't sign him up instantly. But that's the only that's the only other place I would say go. Otherwise, yeah, you can finish there. Who gives a shit? Ain't no money in that. Ain't no money in the Indies. <laughs> that's true. I mean, like he, like, um, well, if you look at this scary fact for you folks, Champa's outlasted five different onslaughts of NXT classes. Five. Okay. So. This list includes, I'm not going to list off all the names because we won't have the time nor the, the energy to spend on that. But think about that. Five NXT class, you know, class, years of guys and gals going in and out, cycling out. And Ciampa still remains the constant because Gargano's on his way out. O'Reilly, we definitely know, is on his way out. Um, uh, let's see. Candice, gone, and it's just, you know, it's like in wrestling, how are you supposed to watch something that's not entertaining? Well, with all these names that are being released, like Nia Jax, who played a pivotal role at one point with Alexa Bliss and her feud with Shayna Baszler, which was short-lived, bye-bye, I guess you're fired for now, and now Shayna's feuding with Naomi, who cares? So, some of these a lot of these names have impact because Frankie Monet, I saw her as Taya Valkyrie, I believe. Is that what she used to go by? Yeah. Okay, so I saw her at Revolver. Damn good wrestler. Um, Oni Lorcan, wow, that, you know, that's sad because him and Danny Burch were a very underrated tag team. And then you have Karrion uh, Cross, who I believe was... Uh, <sighs> I, I I shake my head on that one. It's very underutilized talent. Oh man, oh man. You know, carrying carrying across was doomed from the start because that stupid dumbass outfit and that dumb fuck helmet wasn't that gonna get over with any fucking buddy. And you can't blame you can't blame him or anybody else for not wanting to to not wanting to cheer that doofus. Carrying Cross is pretty much everything that they're fucking looking for. They just use them stupidly. He looks like a character out of Conan the Barbarian. And it's like, or a cartoon show. He's like He-Man. Yeah. It's sad when <laughs> it's just like, come on, you guys. He's big. He's what Vince normally looks for. Tall, strong, athletic build. And what do you guys do? You dress him like a guy off a porn hub. Come on. Like, I don't know whether I'm cheering for demolition or about to watch a short video. Like, you know, I'll get past that. But Mia Yim, wow. And Keith Lee, for God's sakes, man. You guys let go of those two? Whoa, okay. Outside of NXT, you know, Mia Yim. Both extremely she, talented. Both yeah, extremely both talented. Extremely talented. And it's like, wow, you know, I remember watching the good old days outside of NXT with those two, okay? 
And can you believe for a big dude to be moving like a cruiserweight? Like, it's not just that. It's the ability to not only talk, but also present himself as an athlete, a dude who came up from nothing, literally nothing, living in his car. And they're like, well, it's not that. We just had to cut budget cut. I'm like, bullshit. WWE is now playing the game of, of Russian roulette with their roster. And it's like, I be like, feel like I'm walking on eggshells, dude. Literally. Yeah, I would too. I would too. Um, let's say that I think Grand Metallic wanted to leave in the first place. Um, uh, so what what was said it was definitely because what was said in the email was it was due uh due to budget cuts but WWE just seen just seen a profit of 250 million dollars this quarter so it was definitely not budget cuts and other people were saying that it's due to age and I think that it's definitely due to age and not not necessarily budget cuts they just want to cut motherfuckers to just save money. And if you really look at that roster, under a few small, uh, under a few, uh, uh, besides a few names, you know, here and there, most of those people that were cut were really just underutilized talent, man. Guys, you're not going to miss. So, well, it's not okay. that serious. I know, but like when Yim was put in, Retribution was cool when it first started, okay? Then it completely fizzled because, oh yeah, let's use them as a faction, okay? We're going to make them help it, you know, use chainsaws. And Bailey even was like, are we canceled? That was great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because to actually have talent believe that, oh my God. You know, this group's actually invading us. What the hell are we supposed to do with ourselves? And, you know, guys like, um, Jesus Christ, um, I don't remember the Dijakovic, whatever his name is. He had some yeah, good matches. Yeah, he, he was just, I'm sorry, but he got lost, not totally lost in the shuffle. It was like, what are you, what, what are you supposed to do when they tell you? okay, this is what your gimmick is, this is who you are, and you better be on board with it. Like, that's the most ridiculous thing in pro wrestling ever, when you're handed a gimmick that's not you, and you're forced to be somebody you're not, but you have to do it because this is your profession, you've got to get paid. Him, you know, and the, uh, I forget the dude's name, he's a horrible commentator, but now he's Mace or whatever, T-Bar or what, whatever. Yeah, Mace. Yeah, Mace. And the dude's got scary talent, but they're like, well, he's just, you know, it's like, yeah, because he's being used however WWE uses their narrative with certain characters. Wow, it's slowly starting to turn back the look of how things looked back in 95, 96 with all these cartoon characters, you know, running around like they're like, but there's no Ultimate Warrior, there's no Hogan. I said, ooh, I can think of a few, but you guys might get mad when I say this. Like, okay, Seth Rollins, uh, Roman Reigns is doing just fine, but those guys kind of fit the mold of do what you're told, add your own spin. I don't think so. You're going to do what you're told. And they're kind of, you know, Paul Heyman and 
Let's see who else. There's not very many managers running around WWE's roster right now, but on the list of releases, it's just like Oni Lorcan kind of did really, you know, when he was with uh, Pete Dunne and Pat McAfee and Ridge Holland and all them, great. But then that group got destroyed and creative said, nope, not having it. We're moving McAfee to commentating on SmackDown and I don't know if he knows his ass from a hole in the ground because half the time Michael Cole's trying to get him back on track. I I have not even seen one SmackDown with with Pat McAfee on it, so I I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I I, uh, I I really think that over the next like five years, all these guys that we see, Kevin Steen, Sami Zayn. All these Ring of Honor guys, all these indie guys are going to be calmed out, and it's just going to WWE Raw and SmackDown is going to slowly start to look like NXT 2.0. That's what is going to happen in the next five years. Mark my words. It's it's literally happened like that, you know, folks. And like uh, with these releases, one one face that showed up on the uh, marquee for these releases that I didn't give two shits about. Um. What's your name? Eva Marie, bye. Goodbye. No one cares. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so. That what else cool. we got? Okay, so I did happen to torture myself and watch SmackDown, damn it. Okay, mm, well. Go for it. All right, so <laughs> all right, so as usual for the last feels like eight months, but Roman Reigns opens the show again, and we're shown a recap of what happened between the Usos and Xavier Woods and New, and uh, Kofi Kingston during the nighting ceremony of Kofi Kingston. Okay, and then <laughs> Roman Reigns like I took a vacation, I come back. And I see that my family, my cousin, like, y'all lost. What happened? Dropped the ball. Blah, blah, blah. I was getting on to them about it. And then um, he said, and I quote, this is his favorite thing, I'm going to make the New Day acknowledge me. Ooh, ah. Okay. So then the New Day interrupts and said, okay, well, how about we challenge you and, you know, the bloodline to a match. But then they're like, but we get to pick who and so and Xavier Woods is like, uh, whoo, whoo and they challenge they challenge the, the weak link supposedly, Jimmy Uso. Okay? And then Roman says they accept. They didn't even know he didn't even know why, just like cause SmackDown had to move on, right? So and then uh you had dear Lord about repeat matches that don't matter. Shayna Baszler versus Naomi. And you know at some point in the night that Sonya Deville is going to come out and make some screw screwball stipulation of oh no, the match stopped because she's supposed to have a rope break. Blah, blah, blah. Who cares? They restart the match. Karabuda clutch. Naomi doesn't even attempt to try. So she chokes her out. Whatever. That match was absolutely garbage. Oh, yes, Los Lotharios versus Cesaro Mensor. 
This is a very fundamental, basic uh, bad guy versus good guy. The bad guy is instant winning. Los Lotharios make impact. I don't give a fuck about those two. Um, okay, then you see Sami Zayn and Aaliyah backstage. Sami's like, oh, no, you got to watch out for this. Then Jeff Hardy scares Sami off. Uh, let's see. Drew McIntyre then comes out with a big old sword and... Open challenges seem to be the new trend in WWE. I don't have an issue with it. I mean, at least it gives us a match. Ricochet then comes out and smacks Drew right in the face. So, I'm sure that he washed his fingers. No pun intended, folks. Okay? He washed his finger, or fingers, all right, before he slapped Drew. All right? And then Ricochet and Drew had a decent match. It wasn't the... Stereotypical Drew's going to dominate this guy like he did in Mustafa Ali, but it was Ricochet tried for a moonsault, then Drew hit a Claymore kick, and voila, one, two, three, Drew wins. I don't know what the fuck they're, where the fuck they're going with this, but I'll just play along, okay? This match really ticked me off to no end because the Viking Raiders are being basically utilized as those guys, quote unquote, all right? The Viking Raiders versus Happy Corbin. God, I hate that name. I re- that's not as bad as Rick Boogs. Okay? Rick Boogs is better no, than Happy No, no, Corbin. no. Rick, Rick Boogs is sweet because it sounds like Rick Boogs. <laughs> oh, my God. I just caught that. Oh, my God. You hit Rick Boobs, Rick Boogs. Okay, now I'm doing it. Um, damn it. Um, so this match was so bad. It was like, okay, the Viking Raiders are dominating. They're doing what they did in NXT. And then, because the big fat one did the cartwheel, sorry. I really am. As Eric or Ibar, whichever one name they screwed up when they were going through gimmick ideas to revamp this. I don't know why everything has to be the in front of it. But anyways, I digress. So the Viking Raiders were doing their thing, and then Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss just basically exited like cowards, and then it was a countout. So they can't be... You're telling me Puss Boy from Lenexa, Kansas can't be pinned? That's some complete bullshit, dude. I'm sorry, but that just really irks me when... You don't even give them a clean pin or, you know, they beat him because their distraction fails or whatever, but now you're putting him on some kind of pedestal again? Why? That's my notes for that. Um, to get then, heat off you. Yeah. <laughs> you're so, all mad. I was mad because it's like, well, <laughs> what's the point of having him back in, you know, the fray of shit when they basically ended Kevin Owens' miniature, you know, form of happiness, and they're turning Kevin slightly heel because he tried to take advantage of a crucifix or a distraction from Seth on Monday Night Raw. Anyways, I'm not going to touch on that show just yet. Okay, um, so we switch back to Hit Row and Sam. Zane, this is kind of a pointless segment. Sammy's saying, well, you guys suck to your entrance. Here, let me show you how to enter the ring. And Hit Row's like, okay. So Sammy goes out to the ring. They pick up the mic and they say, we wait till Sammy gets all the way to the ring. By the way, bro, you suck. And then they got the crowd, you know, it's like, 
sheep, you know, leading, leading, you know, freaking sheep that we are. They started chanting, you suck towards Sami Zayn. Okay. Nice. Um, yeah, and then um, Jimmy Uso versus Xavier Woods. They did great with this match. There's one one funny thing, though. Both people, both outside parties, you knew this was going to happen at some point. We all know, right? So, <clears throat> Kofi got up on the apron. So did Jay. All right, but the referee noticed Jay on the apron, and then uh, Xavier Woods, quick roll-up, one, two, three. They leave um, Jimmy in the ring. You know, they're going to have him kneel before Xavier Woods because I forgot to mention, the stipulation was if Jimmy lost, he'd have to kneel and be dubbed by Xavier Woods, but then Roman Reigns came out and said, nah, Superman punched Xavier Woods, and then they ganged up on uh, the New Day, and that was the end of SmackDown, folks. It wasn't bad. It just, there's some parts of me that was like, if only y'all could have gotten rid of maybe a few backstage moments that didn't matter, like Shotzi Blackheart's interview. She's like, I lost my tag partner. I'm going to crap in front of an audience again on OnlyFans. I mean, she didn't say that, but it, it was more or less, I'm going to be a diva. I really, you know, hate hate everybody. I'm going to be emo girl again, and I have green hair, yay. That's not what she said, but that's what it felt like for me. And um, to sum up SmackDown, it's just like this. It wasn't terrible. It just wasn't, it was hard for me to stay focused on certain moments because what was the point of having Sami Zayn go out of the curtain for no reason just to get you sucked, you know, you sucked chance? I mean, like, they're hardly, they're hardly doing shit with Hit Row. Okay. So they did have, you know, a tag team championship and a North American title run. But that's it. That's it. Also, um, if I may be wrong, but, like, what happened to the whole, oh, wait, Seth is on Raw. Never mind. I was going to just say out my mouth what happened between Edge and Seth. I was like, knowing WWE, they're probably going to keep the feud alive. But SmackDown, to me, it's like, wow, it's, it's getting close to Survivor Series, and we haven't had any men's or women's matches regarding that pay-per-view, which kind of made me question, like, what the hell is going on? You would know better than I would, my guy. We haven't really had anything going on because of all the shit going on, you know, personal, like, business-wise. I don't know if that's the reason. Or maybe could just be there waiting for fans to be like, okay, have we drawn them in? Like, there's no, there's been no matches, no hints at Raw versus SmackDown. It's like, wait, they're on their respective rosters. When are we going to see some, you know, people wearing blue shirts and red shirts? Because that's the most, this is the most fun, interesting, intriguing part now for WWE because when it goes past Mania or when it go, actually when it goes past SummerSlam things kind of slowly start dying down interest wise so this is where my concern is, is like why hasn't there been a much emphasis on either they know they're not going to do NXT or NXT UK but come on 
you guys have to start doing something. Because fans otherwise are going to be like, well, I guess Survivor Series will just be uh, Raw versus SmackDown and no excitement, nothing. And that's that's sad. That is really sad in my opinion. Yeah. They're just not, it's just not being taken as seriously this year. Because their, their brains have to be somewhere other than Raw, SmackDown, NXT. I don't know what they're doing marketing-wise, and I don't care. All I want as a fan is some answers, man, because it's like you've got an, a rival company that's been around for two years, and they're not they're not even acting excited about the one pay-per-view that gets shit going before Mania, and that's Survivor Series. We're like, there's three weeks before Survivor Series. I know this. Fans know this. Who we, man? Survivor Series used to be the shit back in the day. Now it's just like, I guess we're going to throw this story together and we got to, you know, cram all this shit together before the pay-per-view, which is what they're probably going to do. And they're going to be like, okay, who's the top guys on SmackDown? Who's the top guys on Raw? Who knows, man? Maybe NXT may get involved, but I don't know who with what because NXT is kind of very lackluster right now. I don't see any kind of uh, anything from... I don't see anything from uh, NXT on this show. I think it'll be Survivor Series will be just straight up SmackDown versus Raw. I believe so. I believe so. So, moving let's past get to AEW. Yes, let's get through AEW. So, AEW, I watched AEW this week. I, I caught some of it. And uh, did you did you see it this week? I saw Dynamite, yes, sir. Okay, let's get straight into it. Like, I I don't mind I, seeing Omega. I think Kenny being the champion, he should be on Dynamite as much as fucking possible. And I don't mind the Dark, the dark Order being used here because if, you're, if they're going to be there, fuck, use them. But I really would have rather have seen maybe John Silver or Alex Reynolds or one of the top guys in the group getting the match against Kenny Omega, not Alan Angels. You dig? I felt like he and you felt, too, because we discussed this before. I felt like John Silver, yes. Uh, you know, Adam Cole, yeah. But no, it's like he, I, Kenny Omega gave this guy way too much. Yeah, I think he did too. I think this should have this match went on too fucking long, and this should have finished up a little bit a little bit quicker. No, nothing against Allen Angels, and I understand that Kenny wants to make guys look good, but if he was gonna do that, he should have just done it for someone who's got something going in the group, like the guys we rambled off. So yeah, Kenny picked up the win after something. And he, Kenny was going to give uh, give homie the fucking one-winged angel on a chair, but Adam Page came in and saved uh, saved his Dark Order homie. And um, I really am looking forward to Kenny Omega versus Adam Page. There's a lot of fucking a lot of backstory here, and Adam Page is looking strong. I mean, that's what you... It's like an old Western. Every time you hear Hangman Page's theme, it's like you brought the... Yeah. The days of like uh, John Wayne or uh, you know old Western TV shows and 
just like the bad guy. And Kenny Omega fits the bad guy perfectly, like uh, the black, dark hair, the coward look on the face. He runs out of the ring because Hangman Page was getting ready to hit his finish, and Omega just books it out at the perfect time. And I didn't yeah. Really yeah. Yeah, bro. I thought that was really good. I think Adam Page is. I think he looks really strong, and I have seen him for a long time. And I remember him. Remember him being a dorky young boy in Ring of Honor, and he's he's challenging for the championship. And like it or not, AEW the AEW championship is a prestigious title, and it is definitely going to be a good match. Um, then next up, you know uh, how I feel about promos. I didn't pay attention too well, but it was a another uh, Malachi Black promo, and he was in the darkness. <clears throat> and that next up, we had uh, CM Punk, and um, good for good for uh, AEW because they're putting this motherfucker on every fucking show. And CM Punk jumped in head first, and he is back full stream. I think it's great because Punk's bluntness is much needed on Dynamite because you can't just sign a big game like that and not use it. Yeah, man. And go ahead. And I just feel like this one thing is like they're in Kansas City right for this show. And the fans like, fight him. He's like, I'm allowed to fight him. Truth be told, he's not here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, before we, before we, before we, before we get into the inevitable CM Punk versus Eddie Eddie Kingston conversation, um, yeah, man, we got to touch on John Moxley, who's taking a step back, who's going into rehab and working on his alcohol uh, issues. So, um, all the best, man. Good luck to good luck to John and his family in in this tough time and uh, CM kicked off the promo with uh you know sending some love out to john and uh yeah we are too bro so yeah man it's john moxley um but uh yeah back to the back to the lecture at hand uh cm punk versus eddie kingston oh fuck finally something worthwhile for punk who's been just kind of there and kind of basking in the uh you know, basking in the glory of getting his ass kicked for I me, mean, ass kissed for two months or however long he's been there. But now he's going to be in something a little bit more serious with uh, with a run with uh, Eddie Kingston, who's going to bring out the best in him promo wise. Yeah, because Eddie Kingston is now portraying the psychotic. I don't care who's in my way, guy. I like that. Because Punk's like, oh, well, I'll make you go to sleep again from the previous week. I'm like, finally, something that I can get behind Punk with because giving him guys that are not bad and not the top tier names, but dear Lord, you've got to use Punk. You can't just hang him up like a dirty dish rag and be like, okay, we'll use you and clean you up and then. Use him for guys like Daniel Garcia is no slouch or Bobby Fish who's no slouch. But come on, CM Punk we're talking about here, not just WWE history. It's Ring of Honor Punk. It's the, it's you know, the Punk that basically in your face, smash mouth. I don't give a fuck who I'm across the ring from. I am going to beat whomever's ass, and I don't care if I go down swinging Punk. That is the CM yeah. Punk. Sorry, 
uh, that is the punk that I've been waiting for. Yeah, um, Eddie Kingston is definitely going to bring that out of him, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. Next up, Miro promo, and then uh, we got a interesting uh, super click promo where they were attacked by Christian Jungle, Christian Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, and after fighting all over the place, this ended with Adam Pro- Adam Cole taking a concerto and twitching on the ground face down. That was something, huh? You know, I, I was confused. Aren't they supposed to be the good guys? You know? Yeah, yeah that was that pretty a, fucking serious. I was like, you know, <laughs> that's a very, that's the moment, like, I don't disagree with the violence, but ain't this angle a bit confusing? That was a pretty, uh, that was a pretty, that was pretty rough, my friend. I was a little taken aback by it, so, uh, we're getting there. We're getting towards uh, Jungle Boy and Adam Cole, um, but uh, yeah, that took a violent turn. Next, uh, we got a segment with uh, hyping Ruby Soho and Chris Statlander for the TBS Championship, and um, I think that's going to be pretty damn good. Oh, dude, I can't wait for Ruby and Chris because I think that's going to be like the match where everyone's going to be, well, maybe not glued, but I will be very intrigued because those two females are very, very talented and they're going to bring up for that match. Yeah, that should be great. Um, Next up, we got the former Kalisto who's now signed to AAA going under his original name, Samurai Del Sol and Aerostar taking on FTR for the AAA Tag Team Championships. And I got a tickle out of this match because uh, <laughs> the FTR had uh, the Mexican flag on their knee pads. I thought that was just kind of fucking funny. Not this match was great. Do you know why? Because it felt like an old school, like, NWA match. The bad guys are, you know... It's reversed though because the like the foreign guys or like the the ethnic dudes are the good guys and the bad guys are the Americans. That's kind of fun. And plus, dude, I thought it was cool with Tully Blanchard and uh, yeah, with Tully there in their corner. And I think that uh, I don't know. I think let me take a look on this. So yeah, FTR ended up retaining their championships because there was a lot going on but they won dirty so yeah they won uh, they stole it after a bunch of flippy shit from Samurai Del Sol and Aerostar Aerostar is uh, from the Lucha Underground promotion who and he's done a lot of a He's done a lot of crazy, breathtaking stuff. So it was kind of cool seeing him on AEW TV. Samurai Del Sol, I don't care for. I don't care for it that much. I'm good. <laughs> uh, hey, so then we have Shivani awarding uh, Sheeta her 50th win trophy, but then Nyla Rose and Vicky Guerrero interrupted, saying, "Oh, Sheeta, it only took you so long. How long to get to your 50th? Blah blah blah." And so on and so forth. And then um, Chris Jericho 
is to take the stipulation for uh, American All-Stars or whatever the fuck they go by. Um, American Top Team. Oh, America's Top Team. Whatever. It has Vanderforth, Paige's husband, and uh, Del Santos, Dan Lambert, uh, Scorpio Sky. Uh, I don't know all their members, but I do know that it's kind of a... Um, it looks like a Fast and the Furious reject team to me, if you ask me. Um, so, like, they have the tough chick who tries to be like Rousey and says things like, if you guys had the balls like me, I'm pretty sure she has balls. Um, but, you know, the way that Paige looks is very, like, I take on the mascara and and Del Santos, who formerly feels to be the Tony Khan, got banged, folks, and he can spend money to cross-train these MMA idiots, some of them, okay? But I like the fact that Hager's like, I tapped you out, and how long? It took me how long to tap you out? I like Jericho's team. It's like, uh, let's see here, you have Navarra, Jericho, Hager, and Ortiz, and Santana. And Jericho's like, oh, you said I could pick any stipulation. So Dan Lambert was the fifth dude that he chose. It took them a ways to get to their point, but I like when Jericho talks because the dude could just entertain me if I was blindfolded and he was talking. I'd laugh my ass off whenever he talks. I uh, do not watch anything with Chris Jericho anymore. He's a blowhard, and I'm over it, and I just don't give a fuck what the fuck he does. There, I said it. Fuck that. Matt Seidel and uh, Lee Moriarty had a promo with Leo Rush and Dante Martin. Why Why was this on Dynamite? Jamie Hayter beat Anna J for the uh, Anna J in the TBS uh, TBS Championship Tournament. Um, um, Britt Baker and her partner decided to whoop up on Anna J for a little bit longer. Thunder Rosa and Ty Tay Conti cleared the ring. Um, I'm just gonna breeze through this. I hope you don't mind. Uh, Jade Cargill. Jade Cargill had a promo. All all this stuff is irrelevant. Then uh, MJ MJF came out to talk some shit, and Darby, who was sitting out in the crowd for the longest time, he um, got a he got a microphone at some point. So uh, MJF and Darby got into a fight, and they fought around a little bit. And next we got Andrade and Cody in a pretty fucking good match, man. Pretty fucking good. You know, <laughs> I believe I. This is what I caught at the end when Jr. and Excalibur were all announcing. I'm sorry, folks. My mind goes to marking out when I see two legends, like two former tag team partners, Kelly Blanchard and Arn Anderson, in the ring at the same time, shoving each other as old parts as they are. You know, Arn, I, you know, can see that, holy, holy shit, that dude takes one bump and you know, bye-bye the hip. I mean, sorry, but it's true. Um, uh, Orange Cassidy versus Miro as the main event. 
But before I get we, there, uh, we hold on. Before we didn't we didn't get to the finish of Andrade versus Cody. Andrade oh. picks up the win after FTR interferes to help Andrade, and he hits a nice little hammerlock DDT. And after the match, there was a little smaz where. They were gonna they were gonna beat up on Cody a little bit more, but the Lucha Brothers clear the ring. I think we're gonna get some kind of six man tag at some point. Next, we get a John Silver promo, and then an American Dragon promo, and then we get to Cassidy and Miro, my friend. You know, it's funny the whole crowd. They just get it. They. It was split for this. It's so weird because it's good. You know it's great when the crowd is into both the wrestlers. Like, okay, Orange Cassidy automatically hands down. The guy that's known as putting his hands in his pockets, and that's that. I don't – I honestly, literally, you don't care for the guys. Like, huh? Other than being, as I'm gay, he's eye candy. But as a wrestler – Dear Lord, I don't know whether to kick you in the face or just knock the crap out of you. Because if you put your hands in your pockets, like, okay, well, he does put your hands in his pockets. He uses, I'm like, I hope he does. Because if he does it the whole match like he used to, he figured out real quick. That's a quick way to get hurt real bad if you don't pull those hands out. And two, Miro, God, man, he added to this submission. I know he's been doing it for weeks on it. But his camel clutch that he just bends back with, wow! You want to talk yeah, about that? That looks nasty. He just it just grinds and just makes you tap. Like he was tapping, like tap 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 tap. It was a good match. It was very back and forth. And, uh, Orange Cassidy elbow dropped Miro onto a table. It's like, is there any rules in AEW's matches? I guess not. No, <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. Definitely not. So um, we got uh, Miro picking up the win after that nasty camel clutch, and we're going to see Miro versus Brian Danielson. That should be fucking fantastic. That is going to be my kind of match, man. Um, moving on to Rampage, let's keep it moving kind of quick here because we got a, we got, we got a show to do. Uh, we got a American Dragon going over Anthony Bowens with a fucking nice stomp, stomp, stomp to Anthony's head into a LaBelle lock. Next up, we got the FTR, whose services was bought, who's bought by Andrade to help him with that match. Next, oh, man, the follow-up Punk's promo. Eddie Kingston was at Rampage, and these two had an absolutely dynamite, dynamite, dynamite back and forth but the the stuff that the the stuff that these guys were talking about, partner, I'm gonna tell you, only two percent of the wrestling crowd really was gonna know the behind the scenes stuff and was really gonna understand what Eddie and Punk were saying to each other because even though CM Punk has been in WWE for a long time, he did have an extensive and long term uh, independent career, and. I just really don't think that everyone's going to know about old school Ring of Honor, Gabe Sapolsky, 2002, IWC Pittsburgh stuff that Eddie Kingston was talking about. So after after this uh, great back and forth, 
between two fantastic wordsmiths. These guys got into a nice fucking pull-apart, and uh, we're going to see Eddie Kingston and CM Punk at the pay-per-view. Dude, I, everyone is so high-strung about certain wrestlers from AEW. They, they either Hangman Page or they either Jericho. But Eddie Kingston is very underrated. Yes, we will see these two at the pay-per-view. I cannot wait. Yeah. Yeah, bro, I agree with that. Eddie Kingston is very, very underrated, and I think he's a a great pickup for AEW because he can go into these high-stakes matches and these high-caliber matches and sell it. And in professional wrestling, you want that. You want that guy who can talk it the fuck up and get you in your fucking field and make you want to watch that. And CM Punk definitely has that too. And I definitely want him to get past the whole playing to the crowd stuff and really just get back to where he was, where he can just talk that shit like he can, only he can. And I hope that the CM Punk-Eddie Kingston match isn't a one-and-done and we get to see this for a little bit longer. Moving on, um, the Bunny versus Red Velvet was next. I don't know who won this. I don't care who won. I think Red Velvet won, but I definitely wasn't going to watch that. Adam Cole versus John Silver was your uh, Rampage main event. Um, Adam Cole definitely picked up the win with the boom, and that was Rampage for this week, my guy. Well, it wasn't, like I said, AEW's not bad, and they're definitely not falling, you know, apart, so let's just uh, end it on AEW did pretty decent. Yeah, it was okay. Um... So what do you want to do? You want to do Slice or you want to do Survivor Series 93? I say let's do Slice first or, do, you know, let's, you know, let's. Uh, I'm ready for it. I don't, I don't have a long, I don't have a lot to say, but I definitely have something to say because, you know, I have something to say. But uh, I, um, I really want to touch on this. So, yeah, whenever you're ready, cue the music. All right, folks, this is a trademark podcast, Slice of Pizza 2021 Incorporated. Any duplication, reproduction, or assimilation thereof will be punishable by law. Any some of the language contained in Slice of Pizza is inappropriate for minors under the age of 18. He is not responsible for anything to repeat. At your school, okay? If you if you little shits get in trouble, that's not his fault, okay? So, parents, please be responsible. Also, this man has informative messages that are not direct reflections or opinions thereof of the companies ICW, DCW, WCW, WWE, DCW, and any other wrestling, affiliated wrestling company discussed on Wrestle Radio Network are not direct reflections, opinions, or viewpoints thereof. All right. Let's get this shindig started, shall we?
pizza? Mmm. Pizza Simpson back with a little slice of pizza for you. I'm going to jump right into it. Um, I want to spotlight, first off, I want to talk about uh, Matt Tremont just finished uh, up. Matt Tremont had his big explosion match with Onita, which was absolutely fucking wild. So congratulations to that um, as he marches along now to the no-roll barbed wire match with Ricky Shane Page as Matt will be looking to bring back the title to H2O. Next up, I want to talk about Limitless Wrestling. I don't know if they have any matches. I mean, I don't know if they have any big shows coming up, but I just want to say that their last few shows since, like, May have been absolutely spectacular. Daniel Garcia just dropped the Limitless Championship to Anthony Green in a spectacular, spectacular match. Limitless Limitless Wrestling out of Maine is definitely something that uh, people should keep a lookout for. Um, Beyond Wrestling is um, going strong with their Beyond, with, with their Uncharted Territory series. And we got to, we're we're seeing some great stuff over there with Wheeler with Wheeler Utah dropping the IWTV Championship recently to Alex Shelley the the Alex Alex Shelley for uh, release. Uh, let go from TNA Wrestling or separates from TNA Wrestling, but he's making a strong impact and being involved with the IWTV and being over at Beyond Wrestling, he will definitely get a lot of, lot, a lot, a lot of challengers. I really enjoy Beyond Wrestling because it reminds me of PWG, but not so fucking crazy where it's like every move is just non-stop 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 where it actually has a build to it and it it feels like a show and not just like some crazy ass some crazy ass thing that just where it just moves non-stop I like Beyond Wrestling a lot Uh, um, someone I really think that is going to be signed out of Beyond soon is Megan Bain. She is a she is a gigantic Greek goddess looking like look, looking like a statuesque just a statuesque killer. She is destroying it over there. I uh Beyond Wrestling is Beyond the Beyond Wrestling is uh really doing really doing really doing something. And um I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up soon but I wanted to talk about one of the one of the most craziest shows I've ever seen in my fucking life. I got my hands on IW Deep South Carnage Cup 12. And our IW Deep South is a deathmatch federation that runs every so often. I don't know if they actually have a title or actually run shows or anything like that. I'm not sure, but they always... They they run the Carnage Cup every year, and this was no different. And usually they run in some random location like a roller skating rink or somewhere gross and disgusting, and they're doing absolutely horrible things to each other. And this year was no, no, no disappointment. And so first off, first off I really want to, like, emphasize that this – this uh, was a disgusting deathmatch show. Take a two-night show, mind you, was uh, taking place in a yard in between two factories or something in Alabama. So 
that's definitely a breeding ground for COVID or some kind of disease. There was probably about 45 people in the crowd. And then there was a, was a 10 bell salute for disgusting freak legends, Colt 45 and Spider Boudreau, who happened to pass away from COVID variations. Uh, in the first match, in the first match, Corey Bryant broke his ankle. That just lets you know right away that um, this, this, this is going to be a disgusting show. Horrible, horrible outbreak for Corey Bryant. Next up, uh, I just wrote this down because it was uh, of, I just thought this was disgusting. A big fat lardo named Mike Roach took a power bomb through a shower door. They did not bother to wash that shower door, so there was mildew all over that fucking thing. Whoa. So to see that, yeah. So to see that gross dude's back go through a uh, mildewy glass door was definitely, definitely disgusting. Um, next up, uh, <laughs> next up, uh, a big fat, another big fat lardo named Juicy Bruce was going. Yes, his name was Juicy Bruce. He was in a disgusting death match, and he was going to take. He was going to jump off a huge a U-Haul truck, and before he was going to take the the faithful leap off said truck, he decided he he decided not to and um, and uh, walked back down the stairs. And uh, when he got down the stairs, I guess the fright of even the potential jump or fall off said U-Haul truck gave him a seizure. So they had to stop the show at this point to get Juicy Bruce a ambulance to get his fat fuck ass out of there. Holy, holy shit. In the next match, um, in the next match, uh, John Rare was taking on a fellow that I miss I missed his name but uh he was taking on a fellow and uh these guys got it got into a, some some really gross shit and uh John Rare got his fucking finger cut off and to retaliate he ended up stabbing dude in the arm with a box cutter and so they cut, had to cut this match a little short obviously because of box cutter stab wounds and to close out this disgusting two-night disease-ridden affair, affair, Chewy Martinez won the Carnage Cup in some gimmick death match, but it was definitely disgusting. This was by far one of the worst, one of the worst best shows I've ever seen. Carnage Cup 12. That's a slice of pizza, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, that slice of pizza man, is giving you vital, vital information that you will not hear any other podcast because the other podcasts are not as cool as we are. We're saying. Yep. Yeah, they're, I'm talking they're about a guy getting stabbed with a box cutter. Only <laughs> in wrestling, folks, you can get away with that and not get, you know, charged with felonies, okay? It's just we suggest that you don't try this at home. There's my disclaimer. Okay, Karen's and Carl or Karen's and Ken. Alright. Survivor series nineteen ninety three. Ooh yeah. Oh, 
Yes. Um, I really, really glad that you called this because this was one of the shows that my blockbuster had, and I've seen this show several times, so you suggesting it was very, 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 very a welcome trip down memory lane, I must say. I really like that this show picked up with a store-bought family and Lex Luger on a set somewhere, probably in Connecticut, or that was probably Vince McMahon's house. Probably. Because it just looks so, it just looks so, you know, small, you know, WWE didn't really house a lot of uh, attendance back in the day, folks, because though they were run by Tyco, and Tyco's headed by whom? Linda McMahon. And we all know how well that went, but that's besides the point. To begin the night, you had Dark Match with Billy Gunn versus the Brooklyn Brawler, which is not televised. Then after that, you had uh, your traditional Survivor Series match, and it featured Razor Ramon, Randy Savage, the One Two Three Kid, and Marty Jannetty versus Diesel. Taking on IRS, Diesel, Adam Bomb, and Rick Martel. What a fun hodgepodge of fucking guys. And Marty Jannetty and Macho Man were definitely wearing matching outfits, or unintentionally or intentionally. I don't know. Yeah, and it was crazy because Razor ended up getting counted out. Then the one, two, three kid hit, you know, a sunset flip. And then Marty Jannetty hit a one set or sunset flip, and it was one, two, three. Uh, yeah, I like this. This was a this was a really just this was just really just the old old school days where less was more, and the crowd was just mega hot for everything. And here's an interesting match, dude. I had completely forgotten about this until I actually went through and watched it because I was like, oh, my God, Shawn Michaels and his quote-unquote knights versus well, – Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, uh, let's not let's, – let's, let's touch on something. The reason Shawn Michaels stepped in here is because Jerry the King Lawler, who was feuding with – who was feuding with Bret the Heart, Bret the Hitman Heart at this time? Jerry needed some time off from WWE TV because he was being salute, he was being sued for, or he had to be taking issues. He had to take care of issues with some uh, statutory rape stuff. Oh yeah, I forgot. I was too young, folks. I didn't know all those details, but I do know that I remember King not being. Um, able to compete in this match so they subbed in perfect guy at the time uh fit the rule more than ever both uh, in ring out ring Shawn michaels and his knights which was <clears throat> greg valentine barry harwitz ray combs okay it was the host of feud blah 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 okay so the hearts ended up winning this match i believe Yes, so, they won the, they won this match. This was uh this was a pretty fun. Ray Combs was really 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 excited for this match. Um I I didn't really I really didn't uh like this too much, but what what I liked about this was this was the beginning of the Owen Hart versus Bret Hart feud that lasted until 1997. 
And it started all because this was the precursor to WrestleMania 10. And boy, you know, you want a good match at the Garden. You take a look at Brett and Owen. This all started at Survivor Series, and Owen was like, I knew Brett left me on purpose, blah, blah, blah. He always turns his back, even on the most important family. Because Keith wasn't even a he wasn't even a thing after that match. I mean, he did. He worked. They all worked together. They dressed together. They they wrestled together. But after that, it was mainly Brett and Owen. After '93, because Keith and whoever else, yeah, Keith was the only other heart member that everyone else forgets. So yes. The Hearts the Hearts win this match with Owen Hart being the only one eliminated from this match. I really think this was a fantastic show though, even though I didn't care too much for that match. I really enjoyed uh Bobby the Brain Heenan on commentary who was fucking hilarious. Uh next up we get next up we get where our we get Jim Cornette and the Heavenly Bodies taking on the Rock and Roll Express for the Smoky Mountain Champ Smoky Mountain Tag Team Championships. This was awesome because I love Tom Pritchard and Gigolo Jigoro Jimmy Del Rey who hit an acai moonsault onto the onto the concrete on Ricky Morton, which was definitely ahead of its time. Guys like New Jack and Landstorm and Chris Jericho. Point is, this match is not well uh, well remembered by most of us because um, let's see, all I know was I was six and I saw really big dudes wrestling against each other and a big fat dude with glasses. God love him, but Cornette, who you know carries around a tennis racket and is loud, obnoxious, and yelling at the stenities of the fans and telling us that we stink and whatever. And to see him, actually, it says, uh, Pritchard actually got the pin, folks. So, like, Cornette probably stood in his mind going, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, and it was great. It was just great. Yeah, this was a fantastic match. It was great to see the Rock and Roll Express on, um, uh, on WWE television and Jim Cornette was great talking his shit at this time and he was great because he was doing double duty where he was working for the WWE and running Smoky Mountain who was fucking the pretty 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 awesome was a pretty awesome federation at the time in the Tennessee area and uh, next up, we got Doink and Bam Bam in your popcorn match. But actually, it was Doink Men on a Mission and Doink Bushwhackers taking on the Head Shrinkers and Bastion Booker and Bam Bam Bigelow in your popcorn. I'm going to go take a break match. Yeah, I felt bad because wasn't, yeah, Luna the Sean was out there and you had four Doinks and it's like... This is the point where you say to yourself as a fan, all right, cool, I guess I'll go get a T-shirt. It really wasn't that yep. I didn't know Luna Vachon was out there because Luna, she's at this point in time, imagine folks having very few females that are just utilized as managers. 
Well, unless she was being uh, being the crap or having a cat fight with uh, Medusa, or not Medusa, but uh, Alundra Blaze. Sorry, cross the names. But unless she's having a feud with her or Sensational Sherry, her being out there was more or less showcasing the fact that she was a manager and that's it. And this match is your comical match. It's like in wrestling, um, they have some matches on the card that are just like, okay, well, here's our serious, you know, main event and here's our comic relief. This was more of a comic relief match. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty awesome. The this was a nice little break. It was pretty funny, but the uh, main event I felt was pretty fucking awesome. I really yeah. liked everybody in this match. This was all your top guys. They got to squeeze the Undertaker in there. Um, we got we got the foreign fanatics of Yokozuna and Crush and. Um, Jacques Rougeau and uh, Ludwig Borga taking on Undertaker, Luger, and the Steiner brothers. Well, that name gets thrown around quite loosely in WWE. They were uh, the equivalent thereof of a fucking animal before, you know, before Legion of Doom, folks, there was the Steiner brothers. And then there was this dude, this crazy phenom, lights dim, lights come up by his command, the Undertaker, who used to carry around an urn that used to be uh, flagged, you know, by uh, Paul Bearer. This match, I mean, for the time it was, when Yokozuna, who's like over 600 pounds, I've read some places that they had to crank either the top or the bottom row, just so that the ring would not fall apart. And he's going in there against the likes of The Undertaker. And, I mean, this match was, yeah, as you said, it was crazy because it's your big top bad guys like Jacques Rougeau, uh, you know, let's see here. It was so everybody, was, man. Yeah, it was like Lex Luger, the Steiner brothers, Scott and Rick Steiner, of course, I just mentioned that, but then, you you know, it this is crazy because this led on to a, a feud between Taker and Yoko for 94, and those two big dudes, Undertaker, That's actually, true. yeah, these, these two, if I'm correct in my wrestling history, Undertaker in a documentary said, I pulled Vince aside and said, please let me work with him. Please let me work. If the Undertaker requests to, re- which is very rare, if he requests to wrestle a guy to enhance or help further along his career, all I can tell you is dude, this match in Survivor Series, yes, it was cornball. Yes, it was slower paced. But the Undertaker and Yokozuna, way ahead of their time during this match because they come in the ring and the crowd just lose their shit. They get out of the ring. They're waiting for them to get back in the ring. That's how much of a pull, a gravitational pull, Yokozuna had in his early onslaught of his career because before that it was, I beat the Macho Man. I'll shock the hell out of the fans. I only hold the title for three days, and Yoko didn't care. Sorry, I'm going off tangent, folks, but, like, to me it's just like, um, okay, so I wrote down the entire match, my friend, so, like, 
forgive me if I if I took so much really notes. So Scott Steiner and Jacques start off, and then Rick comes in, and they knock Yokozuna out, which is very hard to do because that dude is so big, man. He was literally dude could eat twenty plates. All right, so then uh, you know Rick tried to cross body, and that went horrible. <laughs> And oh, I forgot the smoking guns were part of this match. Holy shit! I even who I crossed, I dude I had crossed them out. Like I had crossed them out in the match, but I I'm sorry, I fell asleep watching some of this. But I turned it back on and rewatched it. So, anyways, um, I'll just fast forward it. Yokozuna hitting a leg drop back then looked really devastating. I mean, it looked like he could just chop them in half and they, their body would fall off. Okay? So, thank <clears throat> After that, um, he did. Yeah, so <laughs> he pinned two people. Yokozuna pinned not one, but two people. And the fans are just like, booing, and they're also in shock. Because every time Yokozuna entered the ring, fans would just look at him like, holy cow, this dude is one big you-know-what. Luger ended up using the torture rack, and then there was a bonsai drop. This was huge. A bonsai drop on The Undertaker. And then the second time he tried it, the Undertaker sits up. The crowd absolutely goes ape shit. Okay. And then, since they couldn't keep their hands off of each other, they beat the crap out of each other, lost track of time. It was double count out. And then Luger came back in because at the time Luger was their big baby face. He was the replacement for Hogan. Okay. Luger comes back. And he. I don't know why this wasn't finished back then, folks, but it was like basically a running forearm. So basically if you envision like a running Superman punch or whatever. Because he had metal in his arm. Because he had metal in his arm, right. And then he pinned Borga. One, two, three. And then this is the odd part, folks. See, Santa. Santa came to celebrate with Luger in the ring. I'm like, yeah, nowadays that's not uncommon. But back then, people were like, Santa? Really? Because Survivor Series was always, always close to Thanksgiving time. Okay? So for Santa, for Santa to be celebrating that with Luger, the victory, and his team, great. But that also led to a few things like okay the one two three kid and Razor Ramon were not the best of friends after Survivor Series and the one two three kid ended up turning on uh, Razor and them. Diesel and Razor became the best of friends. We know that from the Monday Night Wars. No pun intended. Also Yokozuna and Undertaker um, post that you know had another match and Yokozuna ended up getting a victory over the Undertaker which was also rare. And a casket match, nonetheless. Okay, so it was very, it was a very big deal because the Undertaker's gimmick always, you know, evolved. But after that, it was like um, with his match with Yokozuna and Undertaker at the next Survivor Series, I believe. 
is a casket match, and The Undertaker has lost a body bag in a casket match, for those who don't know. Sorry if I'm rambling, folks, but Survivor Series 93 was definitely something special because the audience at the time was like, oh, wow, this is really cool, you know. Hogan wasn't there anymore. I believe he was on his way out because he left in 94, so you had... Bret Hart on no, his way he left in '93. Hogan was Hogan was already gone. Oh, my bad, folks. Then I mean, I'm a year off, but they had guys replacing him like ooh, I don't know, The Undertaker, uh, Sid Vicious. I don't know. Gone, gone. You know, and then after that, yeah, uh, all those guys. Hogan was gone, and this was when they the WWF was give, coming back from the steroid trial, so they were going with a smaller, they were going with a smaller, less bodybuilder um, stereotype that they've always gone with. So they went with guys like they went with guys like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, and they liked Yokozuna because he obviously isn't taking steroids; he's a big giant fat guy. Who, who literally on you know a vignette was shown at a Japanese steakhouse eating plate after plate after plate after plate. Twenty plates later, Yokozuna bonsai. Was, he was not even. The fun thing about his character, folks, is he was organic. That character was like it literally let the fans believe that he was actually. From Japan, even though the dude was Samoan, but he looked like a huge sumo wrestler. So, Yokozuna's character um, has—I don't think it'd ever be duplicated. You had King Mabel, which he was big too, but nothing close to what um, Yokozuna accomplished. Even though it was brief, it was very brief. It was brief. It's too bad that it's too bad that um, it ended the way. That way for Yoko, but he he had a he had a great run and he was believable as champion and he moved very well for a guy who was six hundred pounds. He did throw some sweet like kicks and had some nice suplexes and just really didn't work like the normal stereotypical Haystacks Calhoun style um, uh, big man. And he, you know, he got guys over, like, I don't know if you would consider getting them over, but, like, from the brief time that it was, you know, like, the feuds, like, with Sean or with Diesel or even when they turned him babyface with Cornette. And Cornette was by far a guy, a manager that could, okay, he was even a part of the creative writing team with Pritchard in them. So, like... Him being aligned with Yokozuna and Vader and Owen Hart and the British Bulldog, that was a great that was a great team back in the day. I, I missed that. That was a great team. I did like Camp Cornet. Because it's like you, you have a faction such as the uh, the Million Dollar Corporation and that kind of evolved itself outside of the warlord to, you know, you had million dollar man, Ted DiBiase running around and he had the one, two, three kids, psycho Sid, uh, was it comma and IRS. And they would always feud with the undertaker 
Uh, you know, Sean and Brett maybe have tagged a few times back in that era. But 93 was a precursor because Raw was a new thing back in 93. We really had Raw, Survivor Series, WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, and SummerSlam. And years down the road, Survivor Series has evolved, folks. It's, yeah, it's become mainstreamed, but Survivor Series is like the cornerstone, I believe, not WrestleMania. WrestleMania, yes, made Vince his money. It still does. But now you have events like Crown Jewel, and now you also have SummerSlam and all these other pay-per-views that evolved outside of the other pay-per-views. But Survivor Series 93 is special because <laughs> it had a guy that you had known had beaten Macho Man, had beaten Bret Hart, had beaten Lex Luger. Lex Luger, yes, body slammed him, but he didn't beat him. You had... A guy that leg drop diesel and manhandled guys like Shawn Michaels or British Bulldog and was a tag team partner with Owen Hart. So why is it special amidst all my rambling? Because the matches may not have been much, but it did do one thing that's lacking right now in WWE. It entertained us all. Yeah. That's all I can say about it because as cheesy and cornball as 90, uh, Survivor Series 1993 is, it may be cheesy to those who just started watching and like, is wrestling really like that cell? Yes, because you had guys given more time to do shit than they do now, which is more flippy, flippy, uh, ground and pound. Oh, I'm serious. Oh, you suck. None of that fucking shit existed back then. It was just like, okay, well, who's the top dude, and can they get the crowd going? And The Undertaker was that dude because the lights dim out. Everyone loses their mind, you know, and starts screaming like a banshee. And then, you know, you see guys like Bret Hart where you get kind of like amped up because he's the he's the kind of guy that you can just you could just get behind period because the electric guitar peel before Nakamura, um, you know, the sunglasses and the, the leather jacket and the pink, uh, the only dude to make pink look cool. Because then you had Yoko Duna, a dude you feared, hated, and didn't want any part, didn't want him to sit on you as a kid. And you feel like you pop like a balloon. And then Goofy characters like the Mountie and, and Doink the Clown and scary characters like Luna Vachon and asshole, you know, I don't want to be a part of this dude because he's such a dick, Shawn Michaels. And why was um, why was that here kind of different? It's not just here, it was that style of wrestling really told the story in its own way. So Survivor Series 93, a lot of people forget guys like Adam Bomb or Barry Horowitz. Some, some of us do. The 
Where am I going with this? I don't know. I lost fucking track. I've been rambling. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so to close... What do we got next, pal? Okay, so I guess we can go with... What about my intro? (laughs) Off the Rails Uncensored? Yep. Because I'm just going to... I'm just going to touch briefly on this. Um... So I caught Wen's partner last night. A friend messaged me about a certain tag team taking shots at WWE while they had released the name or had released several wrestlers. The acclaimed is an up-and-coming tag team, ladies and gentlemen. But the one thing that I, not just them, AEW has taken their shot at WWE, if you will, because they did go head-to-head on Friday Night SmackDown. They had, they used to go head-to-head against each other on Wednesday nights until they moved the program, WWE moved their programming to Tuesday nights for NXT on USA Network. What am I getting at? Seems like AEW loves picking people while they're down. Jericho never shuts up about WWE on Twitter. Uh, Andrade didn't shut his pie hole on Twitter by saying F-U-W-W-E, whereas the one dude who spoke nicely about WWE while everyone else is talking mad shit on WWE, John Moxley at one point said, you know, uh, the only thing holding back WWE or holding back the company that I used to work for is, uh, you know, the old man. He said, but on the other hand, he's like, I want, you know, like, it's not fun. The, the company that we're competing against is not competing at all. You want that company to be at their best, what Moxley said on the podcast. Otherwise, it's just not any fun. Yet here comes the acclaim on Rampage. Cutting off shit about WWE. And it's just like this. You guys not learn from what Booker T basically shot right back at you? You like the little schoolgirl, you know, Tony Khan's over here like a uh, schoolgirl in the schoolyard bragging about how they're looking all the boys to the yard or whatever. When I would rather, he said, I would rather have a quality product produced rather than, oh, we beat you in ratings. If that, if that is all AEW is concerned about, then you're losing you're going to lose the war with WWE because these guys, some of these cats have been through. One of these cats happens to be the owner of the company. He's been through a Monday Night War where he doesn't even think you guys are a threat because Rampage is a prime example until CM Punk got on there with Eddie Kingston is a prime example of why WWE doesn't care because the more shots that you fire at them, the more credibility you are giving the company. So to me, that's one of my biggest pet peeves when somebody's already feeling down about themselves or a company is already in the shitter, and you're going to throw more shade? You're going to throw more shade. You're going to throw more fuel on the fire by having one of your lowest-tiered tag teams not be used because they said Tony Khan was a horrible boss. I don't know how true that is. I don't ever worked under the dude. And others have never worked on him, especially, you know, a fan, right? They did great on Dynamite. 
They did wonderful. But there always seems to be that one thing that pulls the AEW back from being a successful company as far as, you know, internal. Because externally, oh no, outside of that bullshit, AEW is flourishing. They're doing great things. They're they're finally structuring their show. But to have one group of people who have not even sipped coffee in a WWE locker, maybe you did as extras, I don't know. But the acclaim to me it's not that their wrestling ability sucks, it's it's poor judgment. It's poor timing. To come out on national television and essentially tell the world that your competition is doing shitty. You don't think we all know that? You don't think that we know WWE's ratings have dipped below a million? Wrestling's not the hottest thing in the world right now, folks. We've got a lot of shit to talk about as Americans, okay? We, you know, I'm not going to discuss the logistics of the subjects we discuss, but here we are in 2021, and 2021 is about to be over with, and we're still acting like children in the wrestling world? Let me inform you all of something. Somebody was doing really crappy. Imagine that. The, sh- the roles have been reversed, but both shows are doing their damnness to give, you know, to put forth the effort of giving us uh, this thing called a wrestling show, and AEW still being that petulant little child, and, you know, just throwing shade whenever they fucking possibly can, and be like, oh yeah, by the way, you know, you let go of those people. I wouldn't be saying anything soon how your owner's so thirsty to fucking sign talent, which for which he has not a clue what to do with. And I can take direct shots at that guy because one, you were born into royal, you know, you were born into riches. Your father owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. You think that you cannot relate or you can relate to uh, wrestlers? You haven't even stepped foot in the fucking wrestling ring, and yet. Here you are bragging about ratings and what we present better to WWE. And you're offering advice to a guy that has been around wrestling. And yes, he's delusional at times, but he's been around longer than you. You're offering advice to Vince McMahon? Fuck man. AEW, please learn that I like what I see and others like what they see. But what I don't and some others don't is do not like or don't like is when you know somebody's struggling and you just want to rub salt in the wound. That makes you look like the biggest set of assholes on the face of God's green earth. Alright? You can sit here and call me fascist. Oh, you just hate AEW. You're looking for a loophole just to hate on them. You're not you're just basing it off personal bias. No. I've been in this situation at work where every day is a constant critique. Everything's a constant criticism. And, oh, yeah, you know, well, so-and-so does better than you. And you want to look over your shoulder and basically turn around and say the words, fuck you, but you can't. Because you're earning a fucking paycheck. So please, by all means, be the bigger person. And don't pay attention. Like, pay attention. Like, focus on your own shit. That's all I'm asking. Please. I just want to watch wrestling. I don't want to read about more fucking drama that you guys have stirred up. Yes, 
you guys, as in AEW. Do you hear WWE bashing on you guys? No, the fuck you don't. That shit is so goddamn childish and so stupid. It's like, let shit all over a company that's been here longer than us. Yes, if we're speaking current and present day speaking, AEW has had guys that have experienced WWE. But do they, do you guys know what happens when you back Vince up against the wall? Ask Eric Bischoff, who really is not a fan of Tony Khan either. And it's not Tony Khan the one saying this shit, but you know what I'm saying? Eric Bischoff literally said... The way that Tony Khan is presenting things is more of look at my ratings, let's not look at my wrestling. And boy, that shows with Cody Rhodes who forces his shit on live air. It also shows when Chris Jericho quite what you know at at times would take subtle jabs on at WWE on programming. Did did uh the one time Corey Graves did because him and Jericho are good friends was when Jericho lost the title at a Texas Longhorn or Texas Roadhouse. Or Longhorn, whatever it was. And they just, he just took a friendly jab. Yeah, he just took a friendly jab. And now we have a tag team who, like I said, I'm not going to keep beating this point in the ground, but if you if you have people walking around airing their grievances on live air, that makes you guys look like the kid that even after they got what they, even after they got an apology, from their older sibling, they still stuck their tongue out and slipped them off while the parents' back was turned. That's what AEW seems like to me. And that's what irritates me because you guys have such momentum going. You have a great show. You're getting better. But the behind-the-scenes shit needs to fucking take a break, man. It's getting old. I don't want to get... I do not want to go on a tirade every show about you guys about doing something stupid. But you know what's funny? Every other week, there's something on Twitter. There's something on Facebook. Or there's something on Instagram. Taking shots at a company, which, you know, is cutting people just so they say money. Okay, cool. Let's, let's point out Captain Obvious. Let's, let's be that annoying asshole that no one can stand. Let's be that guy. Because if, if that's your intention, AEW... Please stop while you're ahead. You haven't lost anybody as a fan. I don't care. I'll still watch wrestling because it's my therapy. But all I ask is that you go up there, quit acting like a bunch of morons, and please act your age, not your shoe. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm done. All right, then. That, folks, was not a written rant. That was basically the shit that I had been reading online. And when a friend sent me a message through Facebook Messenger showing me what ATW had, you know, had done on Rampage, I'm thinking to myself, thank you. You gave me fucking free material. As I said in response to these messages, I'm not going to read the person's name, but I said... It really fucking pains me when companies do this because they have to, you know, they always have to be the one that has the last word or one that's a petulant little child. And I said, I'm sorry, I love wrestling, but I hate assholes. <laughs> like, in this, folks, 
so that I don't repeat myself in the circle before pizza falls asleep or starts smoking a joint on live air and drinking to his heart's content. <laughs> I'm going to say the following. If you'd like to download this episode, download it for free while you moochers can. Because sooner or later, sooner or fucking later, we're going to be charging the 99 the expensive kind, all right, on iTunes. I'm not joking either. You freeloaders are getting enough. Okay? I love, we love you guys, but we can't be doing this shit for free all our lives, you know. <laughs> download this for free seriously on iTunes. You can down, uh, re-listen to the episode a cup, in a couple of hours on blogtalkradio.net. Or if you want to streamline this shit, just message us on Facebook Messenger on WrestleRadioNetwork forward slash Facebook.com or on Instagram, Wrestle underscore Radio. On Twitter, I barely fuck use that thing. Sorry, no offense to those who do. But um, on Twitter, it's at underscore Brian Rails there. I feel I feel like a dirty whore now that I just mentioned that I'm on Twitter. Sorry. Sorry, my playful side's coming out, folks. That'll do her. That'll do her. And if you didn't like what good old Brian Rails or Pizza Simpson had to say, I got three choice words for you. Suck my balls. Huh? Oh, I'm sorry. Look in my eyes. What do you see? The cost of The cult of personality The cult of personality